<clears throat> Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. A little frustrated with the way that game ended for a number of reasons, which we will soon get into at length and at expletive. Um, 6-5 win for the Boston Bruins in overtime and a very exciting, intense hockey game. Um, the orders came back from a 4-1 to deficit, which is pretty amazing to tie the game in the third period. And um, got down again and tied it again and then lost in overtime. Yeah. Bruce, two good things, two bad things, two numbers and one conundrum. What is your good thing? Yeah, I'll go with uh, play Warren Fogle in this game. He got uh, promoted to the first line in the absence of Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And I thought he had a pretty excellent game, all told. Uh, ten shot attempts, uh, two goals plus three. Uh, he took the biscuit to the basket and was rewarded for it twice. He went hard to the net once with the puck and once he went there without the puck and he intercepted the the shot pass from outside and stepped around Jeremy Swayman and tucked it home and I just liked his uh, his his effort and his energy throughout this game he played at even strength today for five on five 15 minutes and 45 seconds and during those during that time the Oilers had 40 shot attempts to eight by Boston. That line was dominant. Shots were shots on net were 22-7 while they were out there, and shot attempts were 40 to eight, five-one ratio. You just don't see 83% in that column very often. Uh, but he was, I thought, uh, outstanding with his both his work. At, ethic and his execution had a very strong game. Yeah. Seemed to me, Bruce, he was so good that he actually should have been out in overtime uh, that he had earned that. Should have been out there with Ryan McLeod instead of Evander Kane. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, yeah. I don't I'm, I like I'm so steamed by the coach's decision to have mm-hmm. Evander Kane on the ice at the end of the game. And Fogel mm-hmm. was Fogel was flying that game. He was solid mm-hmm. defensively. He's a much better defensive player than Evander Kane, as mm-hmm. is almost every other Oilers winger. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, uh, Fogel did have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm encroaching on your bad thing. I know. I just All I'm right. just so I'm still. I don't know. I don't often get steamed, super steamed. I was really steamed with the Mm -hmm. decision to play Kane in overtime. In fact, Mm -hmm. after, anyway. Okay, my good, what's my good thing? Okay, my good thing is the the comeback, and especially the way the comeback was orchestrated, because it was a very frustrating game on a certain level by the orders. They weren't getting, they they were getting outplayed early on. But Boston was winning it by playing smarter. They were throwing pucks at the net. And they were getting goals, and the owners just just didn't seem to be interested in making that particular play in the first uh, um, two periods of the game. Mm-hmm. They didn't seem to be interested in keeping it simple, throwing the puck at the net, and seeing what happens. But in the third period, Bruce, all of a sudden, three straight 
uh, three, three, not like, you know, it was interrupted by one Boston goal, but three um, outside shots put on net, put at net and three goals scored by the orders. We called them the Californian after the way that the orders in the um, 2010s used to go to California and the California teams, Anaheim, San Jose and LA were masters of this play, especially the San Jose Sharks with Pavelski and Burns putting it on net and hoping for the best. And, and they got the best because they, they knew how to tip the puck in. Mm-hmm. So the first one was um, Cody Cece kept the puck in and just put it at net. And somehow um, Swayman, who had been good all game, missed, he muffed it, sitting there right on the goal line, and Matthias Janmark puts it in. Next, it's a bit more of an offensive zone cycle, and it's Darnell Nurse who puts it at net, and Corey Perry first tips it on net. Uh, it's it's off a face-off, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drysaddle wins the face-off. Nurse puts it on net, and Corey Perry first tips it, then gets the re- gets the rebound and, and slams home uh, the goal that uh, tied up the game. Then Boston scored, and then it was Matias Akon who uh, put it on net from outside, outside and Zach Hyman who uh, jammed in the rebound. So it's a great way to score goals. It's Edmonton is going to have to score a lot of goals this way. And um, they got it done in the third period. They just really executed the California, California to perfection. Well, Edmonton's going to have to score a lot of goals to win hockey games, David, the way they're defending right now. There's, they, yeah. they're, they are. They, they, there was terrible. a lot of wide open spaces. I mean, David Pasternak, how many clean shots on net did he get in this game? He was officially five shots on net, and I can visualize all five of them being from the slot, and mostly with nobody around the guy. So, Quite a hockey player, though, eh? Yeah. He's he's yeah, an yeah, amazingly yeah. skilled hockey yeah. player. Well, Twenty like, grade A shots for the Bruins, Bruce. Twenty yeah. grade A shots yeah, for the Bruins. Seventeen for the Oilers. That's the third time in the last five or six games we've had 20 to 17 as the exact same two numbers, either for or against, but the number's the same. That's weird because their numbers are so high. Like, that should be an extraordinary game. But these days, it's loosey-goosey again. And Yeah. And, uh, 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 anyway, uh, David Pasternak, that goes to my bad thing, which is the defensive play and defensive zone play of Evander Kane. Uh, who, with the score tied 4-4 in the third period, and the order's under pressure, first of all, he lost a battle on the sidewall of a puck that I thought should have gone out of the zone and didn't. And then after that um, flurry subsided, the puck came right back up to Kane on the sideboards again, and he had nobody around him. He just had to walk it out of the zone or dump it out. And from about five feet inside the blue line, he fires it directly sideways right across the blue line to the other side of the ice where, wait for it, David Pasternak is waiting for it. And Pasternak walks into the slot, makes a, you know, a nice move and a great shot, and it's 5-4 Boston just because you have a player who can't make a three-foot clearance over his own blue line. And, you know, that's just not acceptable. You got to be better than that. So what was he doing? Like you know, he was trying to pass it across to someone breaking out up the ice. I guess is what he was trying to well, do. Well, there was nobody. The other guy there. wasn't really even He just kind of shoveled it over there for no yeah. apparent reason. If you're going to shovel it anywhere, shovel it into the neutral zone. So then, anyway, 
uh, and overtime after uh, Swayman made two fantastic saves off of uh, uh, Drysaddle on on the Edmonton power play. Um, at the end of the power play, they put out uh, uh, because of course all the stars were gassed. They put out Kane and Cloud and Nurse for the second shift, and Kane's shift wound up being a minute forty four seconds. David. And several things went wrong during that shift, uh, one of them being his inability to clear the zone again. But there was a play where after some frenetic action in their own zone, uh, Ryan McLeod got the puck in the corner and he tried to make a soft dump off the wall because he knew Kane was behind everybody and Nurse was too. And Kane had like a 20-foot lead on anybody for a breakaway, but the pass wasn't on his stick. And he was out of gas, so he just coasted to the bench. And while he was coasting to the bench, the Boston defenseman from about 300 feet behind play comes all the way down and is icing. So guess who has to come back out on the ice? Kane and Nurse, the two guys who coasted to the bench when either of them could have at least forced the goalie to play the puck by, you know, even sort of a, a lactic acid race to the puck. They were so far ahead, they were bound to get to the hash marks first. With But I think, the lactic acid went straight to their heads because they just didn't think it through. And the goalie was very smart. He just let it, let it be. And, of course, they went out there. And, of course, they lost the face-off in the D zone. And they just spent the rest of the game chasing and panicking. And eventually, uh, uh, Kane, uh, going one-on-one with Charlie McAvoy, who you think Charlie McAvoy might be tired at this point, 30 minutes and 10 seconds he played tonight in a game. Boston went with five defensemen from start to finish. And yet it was McAvoy who was keeping his coat cool while uh, Kane did this flop in front of him. And he just stepped around him. And then he stepped around uh, Stu Skinner, who went for the poke check and missed. And he tapped it in for the game winner and a deeply unsatisfying goal to give up. To lose the game and I, I just was you know stand up make a play what are you doing just sort of sprawling down on the ice for no reason you know it's hot they're, ex- they're exhausted by them yeah. Bruce. And, and you know what he's not a great defensive player he is not a great he defensive is not player. and sucks. and the coach you know what it mm-hmm. is on knoblock now is it might be too old school you know mm-hmm. when with whatever it was, six minutes left when Kane gave away the puck for that mm-hmm. goal to bench him the rest of the game. Maybe yeah. you don't. Maybe they don't do that anymore in the NHL. I was surprised Sometimes to see him off. I was surprised to see him on the ice after that. Honestly, I thought it was too big a risk. And they almost mm-hmm. and they had him out there, uh, the dry side of line with uh, about two minutes left, and Boston almost scored. Then they were putting a lot of pressure in the order zone. So That's I think okay, this is the last ball. we'll see of Evander Kane. He's it's not his night. Mm-hmm. And he's he's caused a major goal against you. Almost he's part of a group that almost got scored on right at the end. And why Knobloch picks him as as opposed to Fogel or Hyman or um, Hyman uh, had been out for the long had Hyman been out on the power play? Yeah. Well, Warren Fogel's the obvious choice. He's a solid mm-hmm. defensive player. He's fast. He was having um, a great game. He's having a great game. He's earned it. Yeah. Put him out there with Ryan McLeod. They know how to play together. Like yeah. Dylan Holloway would be not a not a terrible choice. He can really skate like crazy. You know, Kane can skate for, fast in a forward straight line, but he's not he's not agile mm-hmm. on defense. And you have to be in three on three. I just didn't 
I didn't like the decision at all. As soon as it happened, I thought, oh, God, this is this is a really big risk. Proved out and, fatal. And, and it did. So I put it on the coach, uh, uh, this one, actually. it's it's He's the one who has to get the right players on the ice. It's mm-hmm. his fundamental job, as Scotty Bowman used to say, get the right players on the ice. And, and Coach yeah. uh, Knobloch failed in that moment. Bruce, um, my bad thing was the pairing of Darnell Nurse and Cody Cece. One or the other of them was on the ice for five of the six Bruins goals mm. against. They each made, of the 20 grade A shots, Cece and Nurse made, um, each of them, eight major mistakes on grade A shots this game. Seven at even strength, one each um, short-handed. So I'll just quickly go over some of the highlights. The first goal... It's kind of an outside shot that the goalie doesn't see. And he doesn't see it because Darnell Nurse is screening him. So that's bad luck in some ways. And there's a Boston player screening Skinner as well. It's bad luck, but it's also that is also um, bad timing from a defenseman. Either block the shot or get out of the way. Like that's that's the job, and he didn't do either. So he's part he's culpable on the first goal against. Um uh, with seven minutes left in the first, he and CC allow um, a, p- a play out from behind the net, which is getting a little too common with these two players. Plays out from behind the net. Um, um, CC allows the pass out. Nurse allows the shot. And there's two quick shots right in close on the goalie. With eight seconds left in the um, first, a play, a play that I really didn't like, because we've seen this a few times from Nurse, where he's kind of slow and lazy into the corner and he gets beat. And again, he gets, he just got beat to the puck. The guy went around the net and passed it out front in the slot for a wicked shot. with eight seconds left by Pasternak. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just was, it just seemed Mm -hmm. like a lapse of concentration and effort on the part of nurse on that one. Uh, 25 seconds into the second period, Cody CC loses a race down the boards. Brad Marshawn gets a shot from outside. Stuart Skinner has got to have that shot, but Cody Cece might have also had that shot if he'd just been a little quicker, getting a stick on puck. Um, I almost don't want my defenseman tipping a shot from there. That's usually the only thing that can go wrong. Skinner's yeah. got to have that, like that. He, he does, Cece, yeah. Cece let, let in an undangerous shot there, and unfortunately, Skinner also let it in. Um. Seven minutes later, CC on the PK allows a, a slot pass and a dangerous shot. Six minutes left in the second period, um, he wanders out and allow CC wanders out and allows a pass into the slot for DeBrusque. So this is this is one of those plays we haven't seen a lot this year because the orders no longer play this man to man. CC seemed to forget this, and he's way out at the blue line covering his guy, and there's a pass shot pass kind of into the slot. No, no defenseman there to be seen. And the forwards, of course, don't cover um, as they should. I think it was uh, Holloway and Yanmark, if my memory serves. Anyway, DeBrus gets the tip shot um, as Nurse is screening the goalie again. Um, and then DeBrus gets the rebound and puts it in the net. So, again, they're they're both culpable on that goal. And I, and I don't, like, I know it seemed reasonable for CC to wander out, but I don't actually think it is their strategy anymore. Like they, they weren't playing structured defense at that point. It was breaking down. <laughs> and um, as we happened a lot in that game, 
The third period, they did better. I mean, both put shots on net that ended up as goals. So I give them credit mm-hmm. for that. And um, those are good plays. Um, but um, CC and Al, CC was one of the culprits on Pasternak's uh, the fifth goal for Boston. He was um, on the Kane turnover. He there was too much gap from CC on Pasternak, and uh, Pasternak got the shot bought through him, and it went and it beat Skinner. And you already detailed Nurse. Yeah, if first Nurse deflected a, a Pasternak shot on net that C, that Skinner had to save. It was a very difficult save, and then he, as you say, he was slow getting off the ice. So Bruce, this is um, Nurse has been in a real big defensive slump actually the last month, and. Um, our numbers show that he's leaking grade A shots against, and it just could be a phase. It just could be all players go through slumps, uh, all players get hot, but Darnell Nurse, especially, is really struggling right now on defense, and CC is in the same boat. They're both not getting it done, and I think they're ama- they are at even strength right now. A major reason. Uh, why the Oilers are are not getting it done um, in that game situation um, mm-hmm. as they had been previously. They had been playing pretty well for a long for a long stretch of time, but they, their game has come apart. So they were both on the ice for two, four, and three against a five on five. But as you say, they they got uh, beaten on the uh, power play goal by Boston, and Nurse got beat on the overtime goal. So he was on the ice for five of the six. And uh, he was a way better door than window on two of those goals. So yeah, I thought Skinner maybe gave Nurse a bit of a stare down after the first goal went in. Is that so, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, he, he never saw the puck, I don't think. That was no. the one from the point that went right into the top corner of the net, the floater. Yeah. And uh, all he saw, I think, was... was um, back of his own player, and he kind of... he he turned his head and sort of stared off into the corner as nurse was skating there. And maybe I imagined it. Watch the replay. If you got it, yeah. uh, tell me what you think. But uh, anyway, you, you uh, if Mike Smith had done that, there would have been a, uh, a national inquiry. Let's put it that way. But uh, Skinner's at least a little bit subtle about it, but uh, that's what it looked like to me was here. You know, yeah. but, well, it's interesting. The coach did break up CC and Nurse recently, right? He tried to harney in that same role because, mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, but it just anyway. We'll we'll get into this in in our conundrum. We'll we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit more at that point. Yeah, what's I your number? What's I wonder your number if maybe Nurse is carrying an injury or something because he doesn't have a whole lot of jump in his step. And you know, sometimes you got these. Stretches a play where a guy doesn't look very good, and you find out later he was banged up or whatever. And anyway, that's fair know, comment. Spe- speculation, but it it could well be the case, and mm-hmm. that's a that's often the case. So that's something. Uh, it is often like. the case. So. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's not like he doesn't handle a big workload. <clears throat> so, what's your number? Yeah, I'm going to go with the number twenty-three. Uh, this was the number of consecutive games that Matisse Janmark played without being on the ice for a single five-on-five goal against. And that long, long string, which dated back to the Florida game on December 16th, like 
well over two months ago. Uh-huh. It came crashing to a halt in the second period tonight when he was on the ice for the uh, second and th- third, no, third yeah. and fourth Boston third. goals in succession. Yeah. And we had him as uh, defensively uh, responsible on at least one of them. On, t- on both of them, actually. Of them? He, he allowed yeah. a pass on the first one, and he allowed mm-hmm. the... Um, he allowed a pass. We have it as a shot, but he allowed that pass through to uh, DeBrusque from the point on the um, fourth one. Right. Okay. So. Anyway, he was um, he was uh, uh, um, uh, he, he he was beaten. Right. It wasn't like he was out of position or did stuff wrong, but he had let the the pucks get through. And it's, I'm just pointing out because it's the first time in a very, very long time this guy's even been on the ice for a goal against. Um, But it happened, and then it happened again about uh, uh, 10 minutes later. At that point, it seemed like the game went. Then then Janmark himself scored the goal early in the third that brought Oilers back within one. Yeah, at least he made up for some of it. <laughs> He's by far their best defensive winger, and it's not surprising to me to hear that he hadn't been scored on in that long. He hardly makes a mistake on grade A shots. Like his his rate is is about half of the next best player in terms of making mistakes on grade A shots. He's really smart, but yeah, he he did have a few stumbles in this game. I mean, the, the orders were disorganized on defense. Very and much so. It was a bit of a mess, honestly. Very it was, much so. It was not a bit of a mess. It was a freaking mess mm-hmm. out there on too many plays. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. This was not a tidy game by any description. I'm sure Boston would say the same thing. But you take the point, David, and you move on. You know, my yeah. secret good thing is that I don't live in the universe where Brad Marchand gets a breakaway, a shorthanded breakaway goal with two seconds left in regulation, as easily could have happened if Evan Bouchard hadn't come back and made a big, big defensive play on the power play. When all of a sudden the puck comes flying out of the zone, there's two Bruins, including Marchand, steaming up the middle of the ice. And the guy, all he had to do was chip it through, and Marchand was in, and there was like four seconds on the clock, just long enough to... And can you imagine, like a shorthanded goal in the dying oh, seconds regulation? So this one hurts the way it is, uh, but it hurts a whole lot less with one point than none. Right? You take your point and you move on. Hopefully you learn a thing or two or 20 from this game. Our coach has got a ton of film to go over between now and Friday. It was so loosey-goosey that I really was worried they were going to lose it in in the third oh, period sure. and then right at the end again i was pointing out kane was on the ice with dry settle and i think perry and, and it was a terrible shift and it looked like they were going to get scored on so uh, okay um bruce my number is 31 connor brown now has 31 grade a shots he had one grade a shot um in this game it was at the end of that unbelievable shift that the orders had near the end of the second period um, I don't know how long they had it in the Bruins' end, mm-hmm. um, contiguously, but it was it was more than two minutes. They didn't oh, get yeah. a lot of they didn't get a lot of grade A shots in that, that entire was the only time. One. It was the it was uh, let me just see here. Yeah, I think it was the only one. And um, Evan Bouchard made a really nice move and then passed it to Brown, who got off a really good shot quickly from the slot. Couldn't score. 
31 grade eight shots, Bruce, you'd figure he'd have six goals. Yeah. But he's got none. He's he's got none. Poor and old. he had a two on one and uh, the pass just was a little hot and they couldn't handle it. I thought McLeod Brown actually he went hard to the net on that mm-hmm. one. And I wonder if he should have instead of hung back for the shot, but he probably doesn't have a lot of confidence in his shot. Like he had to do one or the other. He he was even with McLeod. So he either had to kind of pull back a bit and go for the shot or he had to go to the net. And he went to the net in the passing lane. was difficult for McLeod to make. And he was unable to make that pass. I think it went off the Bruin player, actually. Um, yeah. It was deflected. But Connor Brown, man, I'm, I'm just, I want him to score. I want that guy to score. Else, yeah. yeah, me and everybody else. Bruce, tonight's conundrum is this. Do the Oilers look like a Stanley Cup team to you? And if not, what do they got to do here? Well, they got to clean up their act, David. They do not look, this did not look anything like a Stanley Cup contender tonight. I mean, it was, I guess, exciting. Uh, although there wasn't many, like, great goals scored in this game. There was a lot of, you know, they were lucky that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you see these games where you say the goalie's matching the other goalie's save for save. It was more like Swayman was matching uh, Skinner sieve for sieve. Uh huh. One bad one at one end, and then there'd be a bad one at the other end to tie it up, like Hyman's tying goal right after, you know. There was and Jan Marks. Yeah, yeah, that's that filtered through somehow. And I didn't think uh, Skinner made some really good saves, don't get me wrong, but I thought two or three of the goals on him were, you know, not great. And uh, he he's clearly. Um, He's lost that sort of edge, like that calmness and and uh, he's fighting and confidence that he had throughout December and January. It's kind of disappeared, and with each passing game, when it doesn't come back, I'm becoming a little bit more worried. And last yeah. last game, he let in three to Arizona, and in the back half of the game, he was pretty good. And I thought, okay, he'll be fine for against Boston, but I don't know. Anyway, Suddenly, so there's that. Yeah. It's, it's not just the goaltending; it's the defensive play, and it's the forward defensive play from the forwards and the loosey goosiness. Like Boston had way too much fun in Edmonton's zone tonight, with you know f- clean looks from from the slot. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, Swayman started to do the chokey pokey, and uh, that almost allowed the orders to win this game, but not to be. Um, Bruce, yeah, they don't they don't look right now like a Stanley Cup team. And it's funny with the goaltenders how Stuart Skinner looks like an all-world goalie when the Oilers are giving up 11 grade A shots a game. But when they're giving up 17 to 20 grade A shots a game, uh, no, he doesn't look at all like um, a strong goalie. And... I, I think a lot of his strong play was based on some extremely disciplined defensive play that the Oilers yeah. managed to maintain for about six weeks to two months. Really impressive. And um, so I've said in the past, I think they can, I thought those habits look pretty deeply ingrained and I think that they, they can come back. And I, and I do think that, but I'm starting to, there are some deficiencies in the team Um they can look, if they get the wrong combination of players on the ice, they can look slow. And um, 
start getting run around their own zone. So I don't know what what the answer is, Bruce. You know, there's a lot of people who think that Cody Cece has to get moved out and Darnell Nurse needs a new defensive partner. It's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe someone, a, a speedier player, better move, better puck mover, teamed up with Darnell Nurse. I mean, the, the player that everyone's mentioning is Chris Tanev, who I'm not sure at this point in his career is a very fast mm-hmm. um, hockey player. I mean, he's been an excellent hockey player, Chris Tanev. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen him enough lately to, to to get a grip on whether he can still bring his A game or not. But he 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 strikes me as a similar player to Cody Cece, and I don't know how much better than Cody Cece is. He's he's stylistically the same. So I don't know if that if Tanev would be the answer. Maybe it's some other player, some other um, defender who could do a better job in that role than Cody Cece. That pairing, though, is really struggling. Um, I've said for a long time that I, I think that the, there, there's a hole at third-line center. Like you just need a really strong two-way, tough defensive center. Um, I still think that's the case. I'm not so convinced that they need to, like, if they can't, obviously, if they can get Jake Gensel for the right price, that's a fantastic pickup. He's, a, he's an all-star winger. He's fantastic. But... You know, if they could get maybe a right shot puck moving defenseman and a really strong defensive center, um, who are the names that keep coming up? Sam Carrick of Anaheim and um, uh, the guy from Nick Dowd from Washington. And yeah. they can pick up a a, de- a defenseman who, you know, they're not going to get the, they're not going to get someone as good as Rejo Rutzelainen, you know, that kind of uh, super calm puck moving, puck moving defenseman. Um, super agile, super mobile to c- combine with nurse, but maybe someone who who has some of those attributes who can really move the puck, really has a calm head, and can defend. Yarosvacek, um, I'd settle for Yarosvacek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Her Oreo or Selena. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know what they're what they're looking for, Bruce, but it's. It's maybe that maybe maybe they're going to have to make a move there. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think they're going to make a move. I, I don't know how many moves they can make. So they're going to have to prioritize. And uh, uh, this um, sort of second edition of Ryan McLeod playing in the top six on the wing is really important in the sense that uh, if he continues to succeed in, in, uh, in the top six, Maybe that tells them they are looking for a, a you know a bottom six center, and otherwise McLeod is their three C, and they're now they're looking for a top six winger maybe, and so it's because he could do either. Uh, McLeod's uh, his versatility is a, is a, a real boon. Like this is a player that has a lot of value because he can do a lot of things, and except win faceoffs in overtime, but. You know he's uh, uh, he's got a lot of game, and so that that I think they're kind of doing due diligence. Say, well, what is it that that we want him doing best, so we can fill the other hole? And again, as I've mentioned before, I think more than once, the longer the wait, uh, the more cap space they accrue, and the less time they have to pay 
any incoming players increase salary. So it, it, it's still no rush until there's the no deadline. rush till the, the, the deadline or the week of the deadline. Yeah. I was trying to think of a player. I had someone in mind and I, I just, it, the name popped in my head that stylistically um, that I'd like to see. It's kind of, um, you probably remember Anton Strahlman, yep. who was a uh, 5'11", 193 pounds, right shot D-man. partner for a long time, yeah. And I just think that's the kind of player, um, you know, very mobile, very good with the puck, very savvy on defense, just just a smart hockey player. Some ways like Brett Kulak on the right side, if Kulak could play on the right side. But, you know, it doesn't seem to work with Nurse and Kulak together too well from what I've seen so far. But that's the kind of player, if they could get – the there sometimes players like that are available, and um, you gotta you gotta be smart about it. But maybe they can pounce on someone like that, as opposed to Tanev. Um, again, I I'm not I'm not convinced Tanev is the answer because he just strikes me as um, long in the tooth, easily injured, and somewhat similar to Cody Cece. Maybe he's a lot better. I I can't you know I, again I haven't watched him play in the last twenty games very much. Like I haven't seen him play, so I can't. Him say on Saturday. Watch him on Saturday when. Yeah, let's watch when him. He's played Calgary. Uh, he's big. He's strong defensively. Uh, there are some people that say you know he's best player available. On the other hand, I heard Rachel Dory I interviewed on a Low Tide Show the other day. Yeah. And he was talking about. Uh, um, whether Tanev would be worth a first-round draft choice, and she just sort of said they wish, meaning Calgary, that she didn't yeah. think that for what was left of, you know, this contract that's expiring, that, uh, you know, he was that much of a cut above a lot of players in the, you know, lower pay bracket. Like, he's four and a half million. And I can't say. My, my, my fear and suspicion is she's correct. She's mm. a sharp hockey observer. She is. So I'm just a little worried about the whole, all that kind of talk. And again, I just don't think that's the answer. I think they do actually need someone in the Strollman mold. Um, doesn't have to be a big point getter. Just someone who's really calm and can handle the puck, move the puck. Boston seems to have a lot of those kinds of defensemen. So, and I was really impressed with Boston, although they gave up the three uh, Californians in the third period, Bruce. Um their intensity, the way they go about playing the game, they play fast and hard, and uh, they look like they looked like a really, really good team. I can see why they're winning so much, even though they've lost so many players. It's amazing how many players they've lost, outstanding players, and they just keep cranking it out, cranking out the wins. It's because they play as a team and they play hard, fast, disciplined hockey, and they usually get some goaltending. They didn't get it tonight, necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Boston is used to a way better game from their goalie. He got rattled. Yeah, tonight. Swayman got rattled. You could see it, and I think Skinner did too, to to a certain extent. And Swayman a little later in the game, but in the third period, when he was making a save and didn't give up a rebound, he would freeze it because he was just so happy that he actually had the puck that he wouldn't try and play it or anything. He just sort of tuck it in. <laughs> well, the Oilers sure poured on the pressure in the third period. Mm -hmm. That was a great third period. That was it. And you know what? I'm a little bitter with the way it ended, but that was a very exciting hockey game. It was a thrilling was game in a lot of ways. It was a lot of fun. It's great comeback, and they got the one point. So, got the one point. Um, we don't live in that universe. Thanks. Shouldn't be too doom and gloom, I guess. <laughs> but 
they, we're starting to like there is listen they haven't played well on defense in a long mm-hmm. time they had a good game against dallas i guess except for the second period um they, you know they look like they were might be getting it together but um against arizona no they were a mess for two periods and tonight they were a mess throughout the game so yeah. <sighs> yeah well we're now up to eight games um since the um break yeah, and they've given up three plus goals in eight out of eight games after having a 14 game streak of never giving up three goals even once. Like the turnaround is just complete, and uh, you know they're giving up basically four goals a game, and they were you know 150 during the winning streak. So it's uh, a change of character, and they're scoring way more. It's like the games are more wide open. I just it, I wouldn't have guessed this, but it's doesn't seem to be to their advantage. They seem to do better in the button-down games. And This is the you know. Oilers we've seen too much in the McDavid era. Loosey-goosey, not, not fundamentally sound on defense, bad defensive habits, bad decisions, some, some lazy plays here and there that cost them. They're just not going to win in the playoffs this way. It's, it, and like we've, this, no. we've, all, we've all seen this too much. We've seen it mm-hmm. too much. To I'm not optimistic about this brand of hockey for the Oilers anymore. And it's not going to work. There's no way it's going to work. There's too many good teams they got to beat for it to work. So they've got to they got to figure. It's, and it seemed like they had figured out something else. And I think they actually have. And <clears throat> it's kind of in their back pocket, but maybe it's time to pull it out. And yes, yeah. My my takes they just hit a flat stretch, and they just are they're they're just not focused on a game plan. Particularly, they're just going out there and playing shinny. All right, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll take that oh. narrative, Bruce. I like that. Works for me. All right. Friday night against. Yeah. I, I got one more small set oh. of numbers for you, David. All right. This is since 2005-06, since in the in the Batman Point uh, salary cap era. Most shots by a four, NHL forward with zero goals. Here's the top five. Tobias Reeder, Edmonton, 2018-19, 92 shots. Craig Adams, Pittsburgh, 09-10, 84 shots, no goals. Number three, uh, and of course he could take himself off this list, Connor Brown, Edmonton, this year, 72 shots. Number four, Valerie Nishkushkin somehow went an entire season with 65 shots and no goals with Dallas before he went to Colorado and became a star. Number five, Patrick Russell, Edmonton, 58 shots, no goals. So three of the top five in a 30-plus team league have, you know, have had the, the, the entire season of snakebite that played for the Oilers. So it it seems familiar, and there's a reason why it seems familiar, because Toby Reader and, and Patrick Russell both happened in the last half dozen years, and here we are again. And... Uh, just keep hope never dies, but uh, it's on my support. I, I had no idea, Bruce. I had no idea it was such a proud tradition in Edmonton. Thanks for reminding me. Uh-huh. All right, yeah, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>